ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. One hundred and ten volts for three seconds through the frontal lobes of the brain. Welcome to Stat, I'm telling you all Medical true crime stories, and it gets bizarre Karen Wickham, yeah she used to work in ER And now she's sharing the knowledge, so let's get involved Ay, Funny and scary at the same time Medical mysteries, all facts, she ain't lying <laughs> So tune in to Stat, if you dare Cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere <laughs> Yeah Hello, hello, hello everybody in podcast land Or g'day as we say in Australia Welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. This is Emma Clayton coming to you from beautiful Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, so known as the land down under, or the land of deadly snakes and spiders that grow as big as your hand, where the cute and cuddly koalas can even viciously attack. Firstly, I'd like to say a very big thank you to Karen for having me on the show. I am a big fan of STAT and I am super excited to be here. Today I am going to cover the story about the Australian Chelmsford Hospital scandal. Chelmsford Private Hospital was a private psychiatric hospital located in Pennant Hills, which is situated in what is known as the Hills District in northwestern Sydney. The most terrifying thing about Chelmsford Hospital was how ordinary it all looked. Sydney-based journalist Janet Fife Yeomans quoted, It was not an asylum behind high walls. It was an ordinary-looking former house in a suburb. The treatment there also sounded so simple, along the lines of, How sleep does you good? They were the days when nurses were not expected to question doctors. The doctors were always right. Unquote. So, what happened at Chelmsford Private Hospital? Dr Harry Bailey and his colleagues treated psychiatric patients with several different kinds of illnesses with a controversial type of treatment called deep sleep therapy. Between 1962 and 1979, there were 26 confirmed deaths and dozens more suspected, all of these resulting from the unethical and barbaric treatment at Chelmsford Private Hospital. The first death that was causally related to the treatment at Chelmsford was a young woman named Julie Myers. She was first admitted to Chelmsford at age 17. She suffered from premenstrual tension. Yes, premenstrual tension. Myers' mother mentioned that Bailey's therapy made her daughter depressed and that it was excessively expensive. Myers' parents did not know that electroconvulsive therapy and sleep sedation would be used to treat their daughter. Julie Myers tragically committed suicide after being treated at Chelmsford. She was just 17 years old. Her mental health was far worse after her admission to Chelmsford. To understand what happened to Julie Myers, you'd like to hear about what Dr Bailey and his colleagues did at Chelmsford Private Hospital. Bailey and his colleagues performed controversial deep sleep therapy using continuous administration of high doses of barbiturates and sedatives to induce sleep. Patients were in a coma for days and weeks. The reasoning suggested for deep sleep therapy 
was that while patients were sleeping for long periods of time, their brain chemistry would reset and they would wake up and be free of their mental health conditions. Bailey claimed to be able to supposedly cure depression, schizophrenia, obesity, premenstrual stress syndrome, addiction, and even blindness. Bailey would experiment with the administration of heavy doses of barbiturates that would induce a narcotic coma, leaving the patient vulnerable for weeks at a time, 39 days in one instance. Patients would lay naked on beds and fed through nasogastric tubes. A nasogastric tube is a tube that is inserted in the nose and it descends all the way into the stomach. Barbiturates are a class of drugs that were used extensively in the 1960s and 1970s as a treatment for anxiety, insomnia and seizure disorders. These days, barbiturates are largely replaced by benzodiazepines. You may know them as benzos. Valium is a benzo. These are known to be safer and better controlled, although one can become addicted to benzos. While patients were in a comatose state, Bailey would administer electroconvulsive therapy, also known as ECT. This was delivered mostly without patient consent, anesthesia or muscle relaxants, and there were devastating outcomes. ECT is a procedure where an electrical current is passed through the brain and it induces a seizure to provide relief from severe depression and psychotic disorders. The delivery of ECT today is technically controlled and performed under general anesthesia. The continuous administration of barbiturates to keep fit and healthy patients in a coma is very dangerous. An immobile person is very vulnerable to developing life-threatening conditions such as pneumonia, kidney damage, bowel hemorrhages, deep vein thrombosis, skin breakdown, metabolism imbalance, gross visual distortion, severe weakness and hallucinations, and ultimately death. Patients would be incontinent of urine and develop faecal impaction and retention all of which is horrifying. The majority of his patients were left in a more deranged mental and physical state than pre-admission, with many suffering from long-term effects such as paralysis and brain damage. At least 26 patients died at Chelmsford or soon after their admission. At least 22 patients committed suicide after their admission and treatment at Chelmsford. The documentary evidence found that patients' clinical notes were written in pencil. This was so they could be altered later if necessary and because patients were dosed far in excess of approved doses. Bailey falsified death certificates to avoid coronial inquests. I'm going to talk about the background of Bailey. I'd like to share some information about Bailey in order to answer that all-important question of What makes a caregiver become a monster? When we discover a new true crime story, we often ask this question, how does someone get to that point? Dr. Harry Bailey was an Australian psychiatrist and hospital administrator. He was born on 29 October 1922 in a town called Picton in New South Wales to Jack Nelson Bailey, a station master and railway officer and his mum's name was Ruth Kathleen Bailey. 
Not much is known about his early life other than he came from a working-class family. He attended Christian Brothers College in Waverley. Waverley is an eastern Sydney suburb. He then enrolled in science at the University of Sydney in 1940. He did not complete his studies and took a position as a pharmacist's assistant. He did eventually return to study medicine at Sydney University and graduated in 1951. He then graduated in psychiatry in 1954. Psychiatry then was an unpopular specialisation and it afforded opportunities for the ambitious Bailey who was from a modest social background. Bailey's career commenced in a positive light and it seemed his future career would be that of greatness. He studied abroad under some of the world's most renowned psychiatrists of their time and he was awarded some prizes for his work. The reports on Bailey's personalities vary widely. It is mentioned that he had a multi-dimensional character and a very strong character. Other comments are, he was charismatic, a smooth talker, dogmatic in his opinion. A noted bon vivant, he was prone to exaggerating his achievements. He had occasional drunken rages. His patients were very loyal and dependent on him. He would often make callous comments about his patients in private circles. He had a reputation of making sexually inappropriate comments to or regarding female patients. He saw himself as a martyr, hounded by religious fanatics and ignorant critics. Bailey reveled in the trappings of professional power and exploited the vulnerabilities of those in his care having sexual relations with a number of female patients and some employees. The eventual Royal Commission investigation found Bailey to be two-faced, devious, disassembling and unprincipled. Even when embroiled in controversy, he still managed to command intense loyalty and affection from his wife, former lovers and some close colleagues. The beginnings of Bailey's psychiatric career in Australia started when he returned from his studies abroad. He commenced work as a psychiatrist at Callan Park Mental Hospital. This hospital was later renamed as Roselle Hospital. It was closed in April 2008. The community protested against the closure of another mental health service in Sydney. Callan Park is a beautiful sprawling park in the inner west of Sydney it is very close to my home. In fact, my son plays Aussie Rules football and his home ground is in the midst of Callan Park. There are still remnants of the hospital there. Some buildings are untouched and boarded up. Some are refurbished for other uses. On Bailey's recommendation, the Cerebral Palsy Surgery and Research Unit at Callan Park Mental Hospital was established in 1957 and he was named the director. Bailey had, however, shunned psychoanalysis, also known as the talking cure, and instead chose to focus on what he deemed to be more conventionally practical and pragmatic treatments like drug therapy and psychosurgery. At Callan Park, the charismatic Bailey convinced the New South Wales government to fund a state-of-the-art neurosurgery unit where he experimented with new electroconvulsive therapy and psychosurgical treatment methods. He announced significant developments 
in the successful treatment of mental illness. His reputation was at a high, and in 1959 he was appointed the medical superintendent of Callan Park Hospital, otherwise known as the man in charge. At the time, Callan Park, a very large institution, suffering neglect and a culture of confinement. Ironically, Bailey, who seemingly at this stage of his career appeared to be a caring advocate for the mentally ill, was intent on reforming Callan Park. Within months of being there, he submitted a report to the Public Service Board with detailed allegations of staff cruelty, patient neglect and daily pilfering from hospital stores. His report triggered investigations by the police and the Department of Public Health, who found there was no evidence to substantiate his claims. Undeterred, Bailey turned to the media and became what is known in Australia as a whistleblower, otherwise known as an informant. Dramatic newspaper headlines embarrassed the Heffron government of the time, in particular the responsible minister, William Sheehan. The media attention led to a Royal Commission into Callan Park. The Royal Commission was led by the Honourable John Henry McClemens. Commissioner McClemens found many of the allegations were confirmed, some of the allegations were due to inadequate funding, and some of the allegations were due to problems of leadership at the hospital. The finding of the McClemens Royal Commission forced future governments to take mental health more seriously. The relationship between Bailey and Sheehan was irrevocably damaged, leading to Bailey's resignation in September 1961, amid protests by members of the press and parliamentary opposition. His actions at Callan Park gave Bailey a very good reputation and a high public profile, and he set up a successful private practice in Macquarie Street, Sydney. Macquarie Street is renowned for elite medical practitioners and and or specialists to run their private practices. I remember my family members talking about Macquarie Street specialists when I was a child as if they were superhuman, amazing doctors. The perceptions of a child are always interesting. Bailey became a psychiatric consultant at Wollongong, Canterbury, Eastern Suburbs and Crown Street Hospitals. So essentially he was consulting across an extensive area of Sydney and Wollongong. Wollongong is a seaside town, 90 kilometres south of Sydney, known for its rich history in coal mining and beautiful endless white sandy beaches. I spent a good part of my childhood summer weekends at North Wollongong Beach, body surfing and enjoying the sunshine of the long hot Australian summers. Bailey was only two years into private practice, when in 1963 he opened Chelmsford Private Hospital and he began to treat patients there. Other psychiatrists who worked with Bailey at Chelmsford Private Hospital were Dr John Heron, Dr Ian Gardner and Dr John Gill. There has been extensive media attention surrounding Chelmsford over the decades. Today some victims still pursue compensation for the impairments and disabilities they have suffered after the horrors they endured at Chelmsford. I have been interested in the Chelmsford story since 1980 when the TV program 60 Minutes aired the episode The Chelmsford File. I was eight years old and remember thinking, that is just so wrong. 
Even as a child, I can understand that these treatments were horrifying and people were treated as experiments rather than humans. With his charisma and persuasiveness, Bailey worked to gain the trust and confidence of hundreds of patients during 1963 to 1979. He would convince patients that a deep sleep therapy-induced coma and shutdown of the brain would allow them to unlearn habits that led to compulsive behaviours and psychiatric conditions. One of these patients was Stevie Wright. He has been called Australia's first international pop star. During 1964 and 1969, he was the lead singer of the Sydney-based rock and roll band The Easy Beats. Widely regarded as Australia's greatest pop band of the 1960s. You might know the song, Friday on My Mind. Wright also had a 30-year struggle with an addiction to alcohol and heroin. Wright recalled trying to escape from Chelmsford. He said, I was bouncing off walls, really hanging out for drugs. I just wanted to get out of the place. I could hear people shrieking, so I tried to escape. I jumped out of the window at night wearing only a jumper, which barely covered my credentials as they had taken my clothes. I ended up hitchhiking down Pennant Hills Road. Needless to say, no one would pick me up because of the way I looked. The night nurse was driving past and she asked me where I was going. I said, home. She said, jump in. And she locked the doors with the automatic switch and whoop, it was back to the hospital. Three blokes held me down and they chained me to the bed. In the end, they broke my will. Not only did Bailey's controversial treatment fail to address Wright's addiction, he told the Herald it robbed him of his ability to compose music. He did not write a song for 10 years after checking out of Chelmsford. Stevie Wright passed away on 27 December 2015, age 68. Barry Hart is another victim of Chelmsford. He was a 36-year-old gymnasium proprietor, model and actor and was subjected to deep sleep therapy combined with repeated ECT over a period of 10 days during February and March 1973 without providing his consent. Mr Hart was referred to Dr John Heron, one of Bailey's colleagues, by his general practitioner for anxiety and distress symptoms caused by botched plastic eyelid surgery. Despite the fact that he had reports from three eminent plastic surgeons verifying his botched surgery and unknown to Hart at the time, these were diagnosed by Dr Heron as symptoms of delusions, paranoia and psychosis. Feeling confused and anxious over contradictory medical opinions as to whether his eyelid deformity could be fixed, he telephoned Dr. Heron in late February 1973 and was referred on the telephone to the Chelmsford Private Hospital. After waiting an hour to see Dr. Heron and becoming anxious because of the patients he saw who looked to be in a state of sedation, he decided to leave. I remember walking in to the ward... I was very nervous and I saw a, uh, a man in a bed sitting right here and he had all his head was shaved, he had all scars over his scalp and I thought, and he actually looked like something from a concentration camp. 
And I looked over away quickly and across the ward and there was a man in a bed here, or when I say a man, he was only about, looked about 19 or 18 and he was very pale. In fact, his face was almost the colour of the, sh of the pillow and he, all his hair was lank and he looked like he was like a rag doll. He looked like a, he was completely drugged and like a, a rag doll. And uh, I started to feel very un uh, uneasy because um, when I came through the entrance, so they asked me to sign a, a form which gave permission to give shock treatment, which I refused to sign. And, uh, and I thought, Christ, what's this place? And the nurse came up to me and he said, do you feel nervous? I said, yes. And she said, well, take this, it'll settle you down. And I thought it was something like a Valium or something. I don't know. So on, on that faith, I took this tablet and that's the last thing I can remember. I remember her voice seemed to trail off and, I, and someone saying, you shouldn't be doing that. I don't know what that was. And the next thing I can remember was that everything was completely black. It was if, it was if, if, if I had no, uh, no, uh, no body, but, but I had a mind, and and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't feel anything. It was it was like, and there was two beams of white light, and, and they were coming across and meeting in the middle of my head, and then exploding. Next thing I remember, I had these tremendous pains in my shoulders, and I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop the the ache and the pain and I try to move my arms to to alleviate the pain and, and uh, my arms were strapped and I went berserk I uh, I should get these things off of me and I remember screaming and, and, and then everything went black again and I remember people screaming and, and voices and I remember a girl saying pray for me and I remember praying in this darkened place and this, there was this Chinese warsman standing alongside the bed. And I asked him what day it was, and the day he said, said it made no sense. And uh, I told him I had these tremendous pains in my chest. And, and, and um, he said, oh, you've been sedated for two weeks. And then I started vomiting blood, and um, my legs started to swell. And, uh, and the pain was excruciating. It was like someone had a knife and was twisting into your ribs. I was shipped up to the Hornsby Hospital. Uh, where I spent two weeks in Hornsby with double pneumonia, pleurisy, deep vein thrombosis, a pulmonary embolism and an oxytype brain damage. Mr Hart continues to suffer from severe chronic post-traumatic stress disorder as a consequence of the abuse he sustained in Chelmsford. Mr Hart often wakes up in the morning screaming with unbearable anxiety he has lived on a disability pension for many years. His attempts to be properly compensated for his losses and impairments resulting from his treatment in Chelmsford have unfortunately failed to date. These are just two of the people who suffered long-lasting effects after the treatment they received at Chelmsford. A total of 1,127 patients were treated at Chelmsford. Half of those who died included a 14-year-old boy, were under the age of 40. All but two of the patients died within 20 days of being admitted to Chelmsford. There is a hero caregiver amongst all of this horror. Caring for these patients was one courageous nurse. Her name was Rosa Nicholson. 
By 1972, Rosa Nicholson had begun to realise that patients were dying as a result of deep sleep therapy and ECT. She wrote to the New South Wales Health Commission, however received no reply. Rosa left Chelmsford. In 1977, nurse Rosa Nicholson returned to Chelmsford to work undercover. She secretly photocopied documents and smuggled them out of Chelmsford. She shared all of the details and documents she obtained from Chelmsford with the Church of Scientology. The documents were provided to the New South Wales Attorney General by Scientology's Citizens Commission on Human Rights Group. It is reported that exposing Chelmsford to the public eye was the Church of Scientology's finest moment. In 1978, Bailey was forced to resign when psychiatrists at Chelmsford Hospital made demands that both him and deep sleep therapy be removed. Bailey, however, continued to admit patients under John Heron's name. Fortunately, the medical authorities began investigating and professional charges were laid and Bailey was eventually criminally charged in 1983. Bailey took the easy way out and killed himself in 1985 by overdosing on barbiturates. He left a note that said, Let it be known that the Scientologists and the forces of madness have won. After much media attention and public outcry, a Royal Commission into Deep Sleep Therapy was set up in 1988 to investigate complaints against Chelmsford. A Royal Commission is a public inquiry where recommendations and outcomes result in law changes and policy changes. The Commission found that there was a long history of death certificates being altered and files on patients lost. Bailey signed 17 death certificates, which were probably false, Only four of the 24 deaths were investigated by a coroner. The Royal Commission urged sweeping changes in the way coroners work in New South Wales. The police were to be notified immediately of any death in psychiatric hospitals. The Commission recommended that three doctors closely associated with Chelmsford, Dr Ian Gardner, Dr John Heron and Dr John Gill should be investigated by the state's Director of Public Prosecutions. The doctors and two senior nurses would also be brought before the state's medical tribunal, which could have both the doctors and nurses struck off the register. Following the Royal Commission, deep sleep therapy would be banned in New South Wales under a new Mental Health Act. Former patients at Chelmsford were angry that the Commission did not recommend that the government pay compensation for what happened. Patients were expected to seek redress through the civil courts, a long and expensive procedure. With the Royal Commission findings in mind, it is fair to ask, was there any justice? What happened? Was there any accountability? Many patients did seek redress through the civil courts. 152 former patients were awarded payouts totaling $5.5 million by the New South Wales Victims' Compensation Tribunal. Criminal charges of manslaughter and causing grievous bodily harm were laid against Heron and Gill. No charges were laid against Dr Gardner. Gill and Heron won a stay of the criminal charges in the New South Wales Court of Appeal. 
All three doctors obtained a High Court ruling granting a permanent stay of disciplinary proceedings brought against them by the New South Wales Health Department. Thirteen years after 60 Minutes broke the story, the final chapter was written. The Director of Public Prosecutions decided to drop all charges. The question of was there any justice, it would seem not. Was there any accountability, it would seem not. Since the awful days of Chelmsford, psychiatric treatment services and access to these services has positively evolved. ECT is very well controlled and targeted towards each individual patient. And fortunately, deep sleep therapy no longer exists. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, take care and look after yourself. See you next time. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat.